Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to again study his holy words and his holy commands. Welcome to another episode of the BHP, the Bible History Project. Now, last week we completed our studies of the book of Revelation. And so before we go on to the next book that we're going to be looking into and studying in detail, we take some time now to go through the history of the Feast of Weeks. And this is timely because, of course, we're going to be celebrating or observing the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Pentecost, because we believe that the Moedim is a pattern of worship that Jehovah gave his people, and we follow it in spirit. Obviously, we cannot fulfill literally the Feast of Weeks celebration, but we do so in the spirit of love and in the spirit of faith as we rehearse and also memorialize the great works of our Father who is up above. So today we're going to look into the Feast of Weeks and study in great detail all about the mystery of the two loaves presented as a sacrifice to Yahuwah. Now, why are we observing the Feast of Weeks? Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy 16, 16 to 17, three times a year, all your males shall appear before Yahuwah your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before Yahuwah empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of Yahuwah your God, which he has given you. And so the teaching of our father Yahuwah concerning the people Israel and his, who were the people chosen by Yahuwah during that time is that they will meet for a special gathering, a special worship, because back then they would always meet during the Shabbat. But there were three distinct special feasts or worship gatherings that all the, the people were expected to observe. What were they? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of tabernacles take note because of the special nature of this worship gathering they were required according to the scriptures to give as he is able according to the blessing of yahuwah we also observe this teaching of our father now why does yahuwah teach us to observe the feast of unleavened bread the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles because we know the feast represents the moedim or the appointed times and so during these appointed times yahushua is going to carry out his work of redemption and his work of restoration there are three distinct feasts the feast of unleavened bread feast of weeks and feast of tabernacles of course there are seven moedims altogether but there are three when the people actually gather together for an actual festival, meaning uh, they were in person and they celebrated together like a real feast where there is eating and drinking and having times of joy with one another. And so this was done during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, and Feast of Tabernacles, which correspond to the three harvests of Yasharah, because during the days of ancient Israel, Yahuwah, he, uh, used the land to provide for the needs of his people. And so what is being celebrated, what is being observed, is not only the work of Yahuwah's redemption, 
but also the feasts represent opportunities to express their thankfulness to Yahuwah because of his provision. And so during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they begin to harvest barley. This is why in Unleavened Bread, it begins with Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread and then ends with the Feast of First Fruits. The first fruit offering is made of barley because that's when the barley begins to come out of the earth. Next is the Feast of Weeks, and the first fruits they offer is wheat, tabernacles, grapes, and olives. And so the celebrations of the feast also involve uh, getting together, having a festive time, and expressing their thanksgiving to the Father who provides them for all things. And so what must always be included when we celebrate the feasts of Yahuwah? In the book of Leviticus 23, 1 through 4, and Yahuwah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of Yahuwah, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of Yahuwah in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of Yahuwah holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. So we have seven festivals plus the Sabbath. And when we meet for these feasts or appointed times plus the Sabbath, we do so by hold, holding a holy convocation. This means we meet together to glorify and praise Yahuwah as a congregation. And we give honor to the one who created us. And during our time, we also celebrate and honor the Son, who is the one appointed by Yahuwah to carry out the work of redemption and restoration through the appointed times called the Moedim. And so when we observe the first three feasts, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, this was the first major harvest celebration. So we ended that with the observance of the Feast of First Fruits. Take note, in the Feast of First Fruits, what was offered as a first fruit offering to Yahuwah, the priest would wave a sheaf, one sheaf of barley, remember? And so that's how it ended, the Feast of First Fruits, of course, representing Yahusha, who appeared resurrected to his disciples. So after the Feast of First Fruits, what celebration comes next? Let's read Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed, counting 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new great offering to Yahuwah. And so the Bible tells us what needs, what was needed to be done after the celebration of the Feast of First Fruits, which we know includes the priests waving the sheaf of first fruit offering to Yahuwah on the Feast of First Fruits, which is a day after the Sabbath. So after that celebration, that counting begins. This is why the Feast of Weeks is connected to the Feast of First Fruits, because you count the number of days, the number of weeks to get to the Feast of Weeks. So when the, uh, the, the waving of the offering, the sheaf of first fruits, the counting begins and you count seven 
Sabbaths. This is why when we celebrate the, the Feast of Weeks, we call it Feast of Weeks because of the Sabbaths. Seven Sabbaths, which is Shavuot. This is why the Feast of Weeks is also called the Shavuot celebration, the Feast of Shavuot. Now, you can count by weeks, but you can also count by days. If you were to count by days, Bible also says count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to Yahuwah. So if you count by days, there's the number 50, and that's where you get Pentecost from. Pente represents a five, five, ten, fifty, and you get the celebration of Pentecost. So we determine the date of the observance of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks based on how many weeks and how many days, how many days uh, occur after the waving of the Feast of First Fruits or the waving of the sheath of first fruits, which in that case, or in this case, the, the sheaf of barley. And so when that happens, an offering, a new grain offering is presented to Yahuwah. And this new grain offering is no longer barley because barley was the first fruit for the first set of feasts, right? Barley was the first fruit for the feast of unleavened bread. Now, 50 days later, when we celebrate a new feast, there's going to be new grains, and the new grain is no longer barley, but it will be wheat. Remember, the Feast of Shavuot is regard, regarded as the climax or the completion of the Passover season. And so when they have the first food celebration, it was the beginning of the harvest for barley. But of course, there's more to harvest, more barley to harvest as the months and the weeks progress, leading to the climax, which is the Feast of Pentecost. And at the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, you also begin to harvest the first fruits of the wheat harvest. This is why there's an offering made of grain presented on the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. What offering is that made of wheat that is to be presented on the Feast of Shavuot? Let's read what is required of the people of Israel during ancient times when they observed the Feast of Weeks. Leviticus 23, 17 to 19. And I want you to kind of look at this passage because we're going to go into great detail looking at this passage because we're going to present to you a mystery. And people like mystery. So Let's go ahead and look at Leviticus 23. You shall bring from your dwellings two loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to Yahuwah. And you shall offer with bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to Yahuwah with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to Yahuwah. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. And so when the Feast of Weeks is observed, it involves much sacrifice, two loaves 
of bread, baked with leaven, burnt offering, drink offering, sin offering, and peace offering. What also is included in the giving of these offerings. In Leviticus 23, the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before Yahuwah with the two lambs. They shall be a they shall be holy to Yahuwah for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And so according to scripture, the feast of Shavuot should be considered as a Sabbath and a holy convocation. And so we do no work on that day, and we dedicate ourselves in worshiping Yahuwah, offering thanksgiving unto him. Now, what is also included in this celebration? Let us continue. Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am Yahuwah, your God. And so the people of Yasharal should also be mindful in helping those who are poor, including the strangers of the land or those who don't belong to the people of Yasharal. However, when we look back and look at some of the details that is required of the people of Yasharal when they celebrate the Feast of Weeks, there are two mysteries that we uncover. What are they? What are the two mysteries of the Feast of Weeks that we will try and decipher using scripture today? And so when we go back to Leviticus 23, 17 to 19, as part of the observance of the Feast of Weeks is the presenting of two loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. It's a great offering as we have studied. And it's going to be two wave loaves. So the first mystery that we need to ask and look into is why two? Because in the first fruits offering, the priest waved one sheep of the barley. Now, in the, uh, the Feast of Week celebration, what is going to be waved by the priest is not one sheaf, but two loaves of bread. So that's mystery number one. The next mystery is even more compelling. Why? Because not only will there be two loaves of bread to be presented to Yahuwah as a wave offering, the two loaves of bread are baked with what? With leaven. Very compelling because we know leaven does not represent anything good. As a matter of fact, if you still remember, when we observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, we did not eat leavened products. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy 16 to the 4, therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to Yahuwah your God from the flock and the herd in the place where Yahuwah chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. It is the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days. 
nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. And so when the people of Yasharah were given the instruction to observe the week-long Passover celebration or the week-long celebration of unleavened bread, Bible teaches us, number one, they were not allowed to eat leavened bread, only unleavened bread. Not only that, Bible says, no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days. So not only were they not allowed to eat leaven, they were instructed to remove leaven from their homes. And so leaven represented something that you need to stay away from, especially on the day of the days of unleavened bread. Well, what does leaven represent? In our previous studies, we know in Corinthians 5, 6 to 8, as Apostle Paul applies this Moedim or the Feast of Yahuwah during the Christian era, he says, your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So according to Apostle Paul, leaven represents malice and wickedness. It represents pride that leads to sin. Leaven represents corruption in some way because it destroys the whole lump of bread. And so when we studied all about leaven, we uncovered from scripture there are different kinds of leaven that we need to remove from our life. Leaven of malice and wickedness, the leaven of Herod, right? The leaven of hypocrisy, the leaven of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Simply stated, leaven represents sin, wickedness, and corruption. This is why it's a great mystery to uncover when we ask ourselves during the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, why? Was it baked with leaven? That's mystery number one. And number two, why the two loaves of bread instead of just one loaf? So let's go ahead and try to understand the meaning of the use of leaven when the Feast of Weeks was celebrated. Let's go back to Leviticus 23, 15 to 16. We read this passage already. So when we observe the Feast of Weeks, the instruction is to offer a new grain offering to Yahuwah. So this was a first fruit offering. When the new grain begins to sprout, they were to use it as a new grain offering to Yahuwah. However, there is a teaching of Yahuwah, a law of Yahuwah, that guides the people of Yahshadah when they give grain offerings to Yahuwah. What is that? Let's go back to Leviticus 2, because if we want to know about the laws concerning the different kinds of offerings, we study the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus chapter 2, it gives us the following. No grain offering which you bring to Yahuwah shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to Yahuwah made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to Yahuwah, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And so how many here can kind of spot maybe like a kind of contradiction? Because in Leviticus 2, the Bible tells us that you're not to offer a grain offering made with what? Leaven. 
because leaven, after all, represents sin, malice, pride, corruption. And we don't want to offer anything associated with pride and corruption and sin to Yahuwah. This is why in the instruction to guide the people when they present a grain offering, it's very clearly spelled out. Do not use, uh, do not give a grain offering made with leaven, right? I hope uh, that you can see that in the passage. However, there's an exception. And that exception is, if you notice, when it's being offered as first fruits. And when it comes to the Feast of Weeks, the offering is a first fruit. This is why it says that two, the two wave loaves is baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to Yahuwah. So this grain offering that is presented during the Feast of Weeks, it's made of bread baked with leaven. Now, because it's baked with leaven, there's a condition that Yahuwah gives. What is that? It must not be burned on the altar. That's because anything that is presented at the altar must be pure and holy and unblemished. And so when they offer the grain offering that is made with leaven during the Feast of Weeks, it is not taken to the altar. It's not burned in the altar. And so this leads us to ask the question, then how is Yahuwah able to receive the two loaves made of leaven when leaven represents sin and corruption, right? And well, one of the ways by which Yahuwah is able to receive it is that the two loaves of leaven can be offered to Yahuwah as a first fruits offering, but it must not be burned on the altar because the altar is reserved for something that is pure, that is holy, that is unblemished. This is why when you offer um, lambs and goats, it has to be unblemished, right? And so when it comes to the bread that is baked with leaven, it's obviously not pure. It's, it's blemished, blemished by leaven because leaven represents sin and malice and pride and corruption. So how is Yahuwah able to receive the offering even though it's not placed on the altar, that's made of leaven. Well, we have to understand something about offerings. Remember, when we study the book of Leviticus, there are basically five different kinds of offerings. If you go to Leviticus chapter one to seven, uh, chapter one, all the way to chapter seven, it talks about five different kinds of offering. That the burnt offering, the burnt offering involves the burning of the entire animal. So it's the only offering that that, is, that where the whole animal was consumed on the altar. And so when the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, where we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, he had the burnt offering in mind when the whole person dedicates himself to Yahuwah. That's what the burnt offering represents, your dedication, your whole dedication, the dedication and loyalty of your entire life and self and soul you present to Yahuwah. Then there's the grain and drink offering, there's the peace or fellowship offering, which, by the way, is the only offering where most of what you offer, you get to share with other people. So you, you have like a fellowship time. So fellowship with God, fellowship with your fellow human beings. You have the sin offering, which is basically for the cleansing, forgiveness of your sin, and the cleansing for any kind of uncleanness. So if you, for example, touch a dead body, you would have to give a sin offering so that you can be cleansed. 
you have the guilt offering, which is basically the same offering, but with the guilt offering, you also not only have to find cleansing and forgiveness of your sins, you have to also make retribution. You have to, whatever damage was caused by your sin, you have to account for and pay for. So those are the different kinds of offerings. And you notice something about these five different offerings. What kind of jumps out at you when it comes to these offerings? You notice that four of the five offerings involve shedding of blood, right? The burnt offering, bull, sheep. Peace offering, bull, lamb, goat. Sin offering, bull, lamb, goat. Guilt offering, female or kid, lamb, turtle, doves, pigeons. And so it involves the killing of the animal and shedding of blood, except for what offering? Yeah, except for the grain and drink offering. It's made of fine flour, made with oil, salt, and frankincense. And so because this offering is presented without shedding of blood, when the grain offering and drink offering is presented, it's never as a standalone offering. It's always combined with other offerings that involve shedding of blood. And so when it comes to the grain offering, they are never presented alone. Grain offerings are always accompanied by other offerings that require shedding of blood. That is because before anyone can approach the Father, blood has to be shed. Forgiveness has to be granted. And so when you present a grain offering, which by the way represents one's thanksgiving, because grain represents the fruit of one's labor, the grain offering was given as, as an expression of thanksgiving and a way to dedicate to God that which he enabled them to produce. And so when the people presented the grain offering, it was a, it was a way of thanksgiving. They were thanking the Father for their provision. This is why the three main festivals correspond to the harvest times of Yasharah, right? You have the feast of the Passover, the weeks, and the tabernacles that correspond to harvest times. And so when they present the grain offering to Yahuwah, it's an expression of thanksgiving. But before the grain offering can be presented, there has to be atonement for sin, forgiveness of sin. This is why it's accompanied by the other offerings, uh, offerings that require shedding of blood so that people who approach the father with a grain offering are first forgiven of their sins because they also give the other offerings that have shedding of blood and so when we go back to the offering of the feast of weeks we have the two loaves baked with leaven first fruits to yahuwah but notice also what it is accompanied with it's accompanied with burnt offering right Sin offering and the peace offering. So the shedding of blood that accompanies the giving of the loaves baked with leaven. And so in this way, Yahuwah was able to receive the baked loaves made with leaven, even though leaven represents sin. Albeit, it must be certain, they need to make sure they do not place it on the altar. I want you to keep that in mind. We'll get to that later on. Now, but still, it brings us to the question, why even use leaven, right? Why even use leaven when leaven represents sin and corruption? You know, when the Bible gives us information and when Yahuwah gives instruction, you know, there's a reason and purpose for everything, right? I think we've come to realize 
when it comes to Yahuwah, every detail in the Holy Scripture is there for a purpose and for a reason. And oftentimes, when it's there, the details and what seems to be confusing, what seems to be a mystery, you kind of unlock the mystery when you connect it to who? Who is the key to unlocking all the mysteries of the Old Testament? Our King, Yahushua. And so when we ask ourselves, why even use 11? We got to ask ourselves, what's the connection with Yahushua? Could it be possible that the use of 11 point forward to the work of Yahushua? Yes. Why? Because the whole Moedim points to who? Our King, Yahushua. For us to appreciate and understand the impact and the message that Yahuwah wants us to understand, we need to consider first the work of our King, Yahushua. When we see the work of the Father Yahuwah through Yahushua, as he carries out the work of redemption and restoration, then we will appreciate and understand the meaning of leaven. Is that okay? So let's go ahead and take a look at the Moedim. We know, for example, because of our past studies, that Yahuwah's appointed times, which are seven, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, Day of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. We have seven feasts. They all correspond to a timeline. And in this timeline, Yahushua is going to do some kind of work related to restoration and redemption. So with Passover, we know on Passover, what did our King Yahushua do? He died, right? We know this from our past studies. And on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what did he do? He was buried. And on the Feast of First Fruits, what happened to our King Yahushua? He appeared resurrected. So now we have the death, burial, and resurrection. This is the gospel message, and it represents the work of redemption, right? And so all of the feasts, they point forward to our King Yahushua, Yahushua and the work that Yahushua will fulfill. And so now this leaves us with the question, well, what did Yahushua do? on the Feast of Weeks. Well, after Yahushua died, after he was buried, after he was resurrected, he remained on earth. And while he was on earth, he said something to his disciples. What was that? Acts 1, 1 to 5. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Yahushua began to do and teach. I want to pause there for a while. So here's, the, here's Luke, the physician. He wrote the book of Luke which is the gospel according to the account of Luke. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And his primary audience was Theophilus. And so he's writing to Theophilus. And he said, in my first book, which is the book of Luke, right, Theophilus, uh, in my first book, I told you about everything Yahushua began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. So we know after the death, burial, and resurrection, what happened to our king Yahushua? He went to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so here, uh, Luke is telling us about Yahushua giving a instruction 
that they are to not leave Jerusalem until the promise that the Father Yahuwah was going to give was given. What was that promise? The giving of the Holy Spirit. And when would this promise be given to his people, Yasharal? Bible says that after he died, resurrected, or after he died, was buried and resurrected, our King Yahushua stayed for how long? 40 days. When is Pentecost celebrated? The 50th day after the resurrection. This is why the Bible tells us in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so we know the first Moedim, the first three Moedim, correspond to Yahushua dying, getting buried, and resurrecting. And so now Yahushua is going to do another work according to the timeline of the Father. This time is going to be the giving of the Spirit. Was that fulfilled on the 50th day, on the day of Pentecost? Let's read the book of Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, right? And when was that? 50 days after uh, Yahushua appeared, resurrected. So we're on the 50th day. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divide, uh, divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here, the Bible tells us that on Pentecost, 50th day, right? The Feast of Weeks. On the Feast of Weeks, what did Yahushua do? He sent the Spirit that comes from the Father. And so when the disciples met together, and these disciples were Jews, they were Israelites. When they met together on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to speak in tongues. Basically, the undoing of the Tower of Babel, right? Instead of confusion, now you have understanding. And so the giving of the Spirit gave clarity. And so it was a foretaste of future glory. And so they were given the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So now, when we go back to our chart, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, corresponds to the death, burial, and resurrection of our King Yahushua. Now, the Feast of Weeks represents the work of Yahushua when he sent the Holy Spirit. And so basically what we have for the first three feasts, Yahuwah gives the gift of his son to die, get buried, and resurrected. For the Feast of Weeks, Yahuwah gives the Holy Spirit, which is the Son in us. Because the, the experience of the Holy Spirit gives certain guarantees to the people who have been redeemed by the blood of our King Yahushua. So in the first three feasts, it speaks of the work of redemption. And there are people who are covered by that work of redemption. Those who belong to the ecclesia, those who are in Christ Yahushua. And so if a person is in Christ Yahushua, he can receive the Holy Spirit. When a person receives the Holy Spirit, what is the significance of that? Why do we need the Holy Spirit of Father? Let's read the book of Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 
And you also became God's people when you heard the true message, the good news that brought you salvation. You believed in Christ and God put his stamp of ownership on you by giving you the Holy Spirit he had promised. The Spirit is the guarantee that we shall receive what God has promised his people. And this assures us that God will complete, will give complete freedom to those who are his. Let us praise his glory. What is the importance of receiving the Holy Spirit? Bible says it is a guarantee that we now become the people of Allahim, that we become the people of God. That's one aspect or importance of the Holy Spirit. So we have the stamp of ownership. We belong to God. The promises of God belong to us. We, we, are, we will inherit what God has promised and what is included in that. Let's read the book of Romans 8, 10 to 11. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Yahushua from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Yahushua from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. And so what is the importance of receiving the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God? When we receive the Spirit of God in us, it's like Yahusha is living in us. And it's what will empower us to carry out the will of the Father. You see, when Yahuwah gives a command, he also gives us the empowering to carry out the command through his Spirit. Without his Spirit, we're stuck with the flesh. And we know the flesh is lacking. This is why the apostles, before they received the Spirit, they were afraid. But after they received the Spirit, they were no longer afraid even of death. This is why Apostle Peter, when he was confronted, why are you preaching all about the Christ? He spoke, you know, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so he was willing to go to jail and even to die for the sake of our King, Yahushua. But before that, before the resurrection, Apostle Peter was kind of denying Yahushua three times. You see the difference? When we have the Spirit, Yahushua is in us. And when Yahushua is in us, we have courage, we have strength, we're able to do the will of the Father. However, I want you to look at this passage. Although we have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of Abba, you notice the Bible says your body will still die because of sin. Why? At the bottom, because our bodies are still mortal. What does that mean? It means even when a person is adopted as a son and daughter of Allah, they still have their mortal bodies. And our mortal bodies is still prone to what? Corruption and sin. In other words, our bodies are quote-unquote still like leaven. You get it? Even though we have been redeemed, by the shed blood of our King Yahushua, we are still in our physical bodies. And in that sense, we are leavened. We are still prone to sin. This is why if we keep reading Romans chapter 8, it tells us and we believers also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste, in other translations, as first fruits, okay, of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day 
when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And so life on earth as an adopted son and daughter of the father, life on earth as one redeemed by the blood of our King Yahushua does not mean we will no longer groan. We are still with our physical bodies. We are still with leaven. And so because of this, we are prone to commit sin. This is why we still commit sin and we still suffer. And so do not expect you're baptizing Christ Yahushua, no more problems whatsoever. No more sickness whatsoever. No, that's not the case. We still have a leavened body. We still have a body made of, quote, unquote, spiritual, uh, of leaven, spiritual leaven. There's still pride in our body. There's corruption in our body. This is why we get sick and old. This is why we commit sin. And so when will we receive a new body? Well, let's read the book of Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit cor in corruption. Behold, I tell you in mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. And so when will our bodies be changed? At the sound of the last trumpet. What does this point to? what Yahushua will do on the Feast of Trumpets or the Day of Trumpets. We're not there yet. This is why there's this big separation between the, the uh, Pentecost and the Day of Trumpets. It's not grouped together. And so while we're waiting, we have been given the Spirit to enable us to do the will of Abba, despite our mortal bodies prone to sin and sickness. One day, our bodies are going to be change why let's read for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal take note must put on immortality so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then he shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory and so right now our bodies are corruptible in other words we have the influence of leaven in our bodies. But when our bodies will change, during the harpatsa, when Yahusha returns in the clouds for us, we will have, we'll be given new bodies which are incorruptible. Our new bodies, brethren, can that still be connected to leaven? Our new bodies? No more. Our bodies right now, it is like leaven, right? And we know with the problem with leaven is even if it's just a small leaven, it affects the whole body. This is why we want to remove it as much as we can. But even though we do our best to remove leaven from our body, we cannot do so because our bodies are still corruptible. But when it's changed, no longer corruptible, then our bodies is no longer associated with leaven. So we understand now the leaven in the bread offered on the Feast of Weeks, it reminds us that even though we have been redeemed by Yahushua, our bodies remain corruptible, imperfect, and prone to sin. And so the leaven in the Feast of Weeks offering should remind us about Yahuwah's love. Because even though we are corruptible, even though we are prone to commit sin, Yahuwah still chooses to fellowship with us, to fellowship with us, despite our corrupted and sinful nature through the sacrifice of his king, Yahushua. This is why 
in the Feast of Weeks, it was instructed that loaves of bread, two loaves of bread, be made of leaven. Because Yahuwah wants us to know, even though our, we are prone to sin, Yahuwah will not give up on us, and he will continue to fellowship with us. But why two? <laughs> right? Why two loaves of bread? How many here have an answer to that question? I think some of you kind of have an idea of why we have two loaves of bread. When we think of the number two, what does that mean? It's easy. If it's two, what does that mean? It means it's not one. Do you get it? If it's two, it means it's not one. What are you talking about, brother? Well, two represents division. Because if you have two of something, it means one is distinct from the other. For you to have distinction, there must be division. And in the Holy Bible, there are many, many pairs that the Bible speaks to us about. They kind of tell us kind of almost opposite-like in nature, okay? For example, men and women, right? They have pairs in the Bible. The Bible speaks about husband and wife, slaves and free men, masters and servants, young and old, rich and poor, parents and children, godly and worldly, circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew and Gentile. We have these pairs in the Bible that speaks of kind of a division, right? However, among all of these different divisions is the one at the bottom, the Jew and the Greek, the Jew and the Gentile, right? So we have two, and I believe the two loaves represent the Jew or the Israelite and the Gentile. Why do I believe this? Why do I believe that the two loaves represent the work of Yahushua, not just for the people of Israel, but also for the rest of the world? So it's Israel and the rest of the world. Israel and the Gentiles. Why? Ephesians. Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we, Apostle Paul speaking on behalf of himself and fellow Jews, he says that we, Yahudim, who were first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you, Gentiles, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And so here we have the distinction. What is that? What distinction is that between the, the Yahudim and the Gentiles? You see the distinction? Yahudim, the Gentiles. But this distinction is eventually removed through our union with who? Yahushua. Because through our union with Yahushua, the Yahudim, the Jews, they receive the Spirit. But then Apostle Paul also says, not just we, but you too. He was writing to the Gentiles. He said, you too, the Gentiles, you too will become the people of God through Yahushua because you too will receive the Holy Spirit. And so in the same way, 
the Jews, the Yahudim, received the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You know who also received the Holy Spirit? Because when we studied the book of Acts 2, 1 and 4, it was speaking of Yahudim there, the people of Israel. And they received the Spirit, and the Spirit manifested itself in their ability to speak in what? Tongues. But then, uh, many, many, uh, several years later after this, comes Acts chapter 10. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. Why? Because something is happening that didn't happen before. What was happening now? The gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles too. No longer just Yahudi. No longer just the people of Israel, but also the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Amazing. This was revolutionary. When the Gentiles began to preach or began to praise God because they received the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice they also spoke in tongues. And so the event of Pentecost was repeated with who? Gentiles. And so we find here the two loaves represent groups of people, Yahudim and everyone else, the Jews and the Greeks, the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And so they both received the Holy Spirit, which means they received the gift of Yahuwah confirming that they have become the people of Allahim. This is why the meaning of leaven is that even though we are corruptible people, Yahuwah still will choose us to become his adopted sons and daughters despite of our imperfection. And so when the spirit was given through our King Yahusha, it no longer mattered if you were Jew or Greek. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Yahushua. And if you're Christ and you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise in Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, by, by barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. And so when our father gave Yahushua, represented by the first three feasts, death, burial, resurrection, when Yahuwah now gives the Holy Spirit, he's giving the Holy Spirit to all people through Yahushua. This is why it no longer mattered if you were Jew or Greek. This is why the sacrifice of the two loaves of bread represents the unification of both Jew and Gentile through one sacrifice. The sacrifice of our king, Yahushua. No longer is there a distinction. Before the sacrifice of Yahushua, there was that distinction. Apostle Paul said, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, in Christ, Yahushua, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So before those uh, Yahushua sacrifice, there was a distinction between Gentiles 
and Israel, circumcised and uncircumcised. But that division was removed. When? 1418. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and he has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he became, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And so because of the sacrifice of our King Yahushua, both circumcised and uncircumcised, both Jew and Gentile, they have equal access to the Father through the Spirit. Because the two, Jew and Gentile, have become one in the one body of our King Yahushua. And so the two loaves of bread represent Yahuwah's work of making both Israel and the Gentiles his people. Because in the Old Testament, it was all about Israel. And Israel would be the one to represent the people of God. But according to the Feast of Weeks and the use of the two loaves made of leaven, it was pointing to the future work of our King Yahushua, for he will unite and bring all people together, regardless of race. This is why today it's not about race. It's not about if you are Jew by blood or if you're Filipino by blood or Hispanic by blood. It doesn't matter anymore. It does not matter. What matters is if you belong to Yahushua, you have one access to the Father by his spirit to him. And so the two loaves represent representing the whole world to become the people of Allahim. This is why the Feast of Weeks is very special. And we must not forget the message of the Feast of Weeks. And so even today, even though we cannot fulfill the Feast of Weeks, literally, we fulfill the spirit of the law, the spirit of the feast. And so how can we observe the Feast of Weeks even today? We're almost done because we want to observe the Feast of Weeks today. How can we prepare to observe the Feast of Weeks? What would be a meaningful celebration of the Feast of Weeks? Remember, on the day of Pentecost, Yahuwah poured out his spirit which is the gift of his son into the hearts of his people. And so what must we ask ourselves? What must we be certain of? So that when we observe the Feast of Weeks, we will be able to do so pleasingly. In the book of 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Yahushua Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So what we need to do as we prepare for the observance of the Feast of Weeks, we have to test ourselves. We need to know, is Yahusha in us? What does that mean? Is the Holy Spirit still in us, right? This is why we have to examine ourselves and prepare our hearts so that when we meet together for worship on the day of Pentecost, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we will receive our share of the spirit of Elohim, Yahusha in us, that we can be strengthened in our faith. So what can we do though? I mean, how can we prepare for our celebration, our observance of the Feast of Weeks this coming weekend? Well, we have to use the Old Testament as a guide. Remember, the Old Testament reveals the character of Yahuwah. 
And so if we want to obey in a way that's pleasing to the Father, the Feast of Weeks, we need to look at the components or we need to look at what makes up for the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. So if we go back to Leviticus, we know the two loaves represent all of us presented to the Father, right? We are sustained by certain burnt offerings. There's the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the peace offering. And so in spirit, we need to embody the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the peace offering when we observe the Feast of Weeks, because when it was literally being done, it included these physical offerings. Obviously today, we're not going to be giving these physical offerings, but the spirit of the offerings, we need to embody to prepare us for our Feast of Week celebration. What else? In Leviticus 23, 22, it also tells us a part of the celebration involves caring for the poor and the needy. And so when we summarize, how can we observe effectively, pleasingly, uh, the Feast of Weeks today? We have to include all of these things in our celebration. Burnt offerings, sin offering, peace offering, helping the poor and needy. We can obviously do that today without pro any problems. But what we need to ask ourselves is, how about the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering? We know we no longer are required to do that because Yahushua became the one who satisfied all of these ceremonial offerings. However, the spirit still remains. For example, the burnt offering. What was the burnt offering? If you still remember the offering, it was the only offering that required the whole animal to be burnt, which represents our dedication, our wholehearted, whole body and soul dedication, right? And so that represents dedicating our whole selves, not elves. Who put elves there? dedicating our, our whole selves to God. This is what Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2 is all about. When we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to Yahuwah, it means his priority is our priority. Our prim primary and topmost priority must become Yahuwah. And so the Feast of Weeks is all about reprioritizing our priority to match our dedication, our complete and wholehearted, whole being dedication to the Father. Sin offering, what does that represent? Cleansing of sin, forgiveness of sin, and cleansing of those who are being uncleansed. And so Yahushua did that for us, but we have to maintain our cleanliness. So we need to keep repenting of our sin and keep renewing our life. The peace offering, what was unique about the peace offering? The only offering where the people uh, who are part of the, the people meet together basically have a feast. They eat together part of uh, a big part of the offering. And so this represents fellowship, not only with God, but also with our fellow men. Love for our fellow men. So this is what we need to incorporate in our celebration. Dedicating ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Maintaining our cleanliness, living in the spirit, and loving our fellow human beings, and providing and helping the poor and the needy. This is what we should do. However, there's one more thing that we want you to understand. We're almost done. This is the last part. And this, I believe, is a very, very integral part of our celebration and understanding of the Feast of Weeks as we celebrate and observe it today. Remember, when the Feast of Weeks instruction was given, it was to be an offering of a new grain offering. And what was this grain offering made of again? 
wheat, baked with what? Leaven. But the instruction when it comes to grain offering was if it's made of leaven for the first fruit offering, it must not be burned on the altar because leaven represents corruption and no corruption is to be placed in the altar. You get it? This is why it's not burned at the altar. I don't know. If you ask this question earlier, if the leavened bread, which represents quote-unquote corrupted bread, if it's not laid on the altar, then how is it offered to Yahuwah? If it's not on the altar, where is it placed? Leviticus 23, 2021. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before Yahuwah with the two lamps. They shall be holy to Yahuwah for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work in it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. See, the, the two loaves baked with leaven, because leaven represents corruption and sin, cannot be placed on the altar. Where is it placed, brethren? It was placed in the hands of the priests. It is the priest that will wave them. It is the priest that will hold them to Yahuwah. Beloved brethren, who is the priest pointing to? None other than our great high priest. Remember the passage in Hebrews 4 where it speaks of Yahusha as our great high priest in heaven? And he says he knows that we are weak. The leavened bread was given by Yahuwah to his son, Yahusha. And through him, the two will become one. Through him, though we are leavened, corrupted by sin, we can be made presentable to who? Yahuwah. And here's one more thing. Because the bread made of leaven cannot stand on its own. It must be placed in the hand of the priest. This tells us we need to be dependent upon Yahushua. It tells us we must place our hands in our high priest in complete faith, trust, and love. Beloved brethren, the message of the Feast of Weeks is simply this. Do not stand on your own because you can't. We're made of what? Leaven. The only way for us to overcome, the only way for us to endure, the only way for us to obtain the everlasting bodies, the glorious bodies promised by the Father is if we will place our hands, our selves in the hand of our high priest. Brethren, surrender ourselves to our King Yahushua. Place your trust and hope in him. Why must we do that? The final passage of our studies today in the book of John 16, all that belongs to the Father 
is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Why should we place our life in the hands of our King Yahushua? Because he has already overcome the world. We can't overcome the world on our own. Our bodies are corrupted by leaven. Yes, we have been redeemed. Yes, we have been purchased by the blood of our King Yahushua. Yes, we are the people of Elohim. But we still have and live in this mortal body of ours, which is corruptible and weak. We cannot survive on our own. Just like the leavened bread on during the sacrifice, the Feast of Weeks is placed in the hands of the, of the priest. Let us place ourselves in the hands of our King Yahushua because he has overcome the world. And what is his promise to each and every one of us? He says, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me and you will have peace in the many trials and sorrows that we will go through. In other words, Yahushua will always be with us. You see, Yahuwah gave the gift of his son and he carried out the sacrifice in the first three feasts. First three feasts, Yahuwah gave his son. The feast of weeks, Yahuwah gives the spirit so that the son can be in us. And if the son is in us, we will have peace even in the midst of trials and sorrows in our life. That's the essence of the feast of weeks. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Yahushua HaMashiach. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, Yahuwah Almighty, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for the adoption we have received. Yahuwah, because you are long-suffering, compassionate, and filled with love, despite our weaknesses and imperfections, you gave up your son. And despite our ongoing sin, you maintain our fellowship with you because you understand we are but dust. Thank you, Father. You knew this all along, communicated to us as we now study the details of your Moedim. Thank you, Father, for you continue to bear with us your long suffering is the only reason why, up until now, we still remain your people. Father, please do not give up on us. When others do, because of our failures, because of our corruptibility, Abba Yahuwah, when you see our repentant hearts, when we approach you for mercy and grace, may you send forth your Holy Spirit. We will ask it from you in our prayers every day. We will ask it from you on the day when we meet, as we observe the Feast of Weeks. We beseech you, Father, on that day when your people gather together, as we now understand your purpose, how you want us to overcome the world. Father, we are given confidence 
We want to give ourselves to you. Father, have mercy upon us when your people together proclaim your name. And we together ask for your spirit, Father, please bestow it to your people that even though we grow because of the decay of creation, we will have hope, we will have peace, we will have joy because of you and your work in us. Our King Yahusha, we place our life into your hands. Take hold of us, strengthen us. We need your peace. Please abide with your servants today and always. Never leave us alone because without you, if you will not uphold us, we will fall, we will fail. It is only because of you and your work in us that we can stand and be with the presence of the Father. Father, bless your people throughout the world. Even now, may you heal those who may be sick among us, strengthen us every day, and continue to develop our understanding of your holy will that we might carry it out in our life. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Hamashi. Amen.